Welcome to the Astrophys Podcasts. First of all, we would like to acknowledge Australia's first astronomers, the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, the traditional owners and custodians of the land we are on. This episode is produced on Yorta Yorta, Pangarang and Kaerna country. My name is Brendan O'Brien and today is Monday the 1st of August 2022. We always include a community service announcement, asking you to wash your hands regularly, wear a mask if you can't socially distance effectively, and isolate as much as possible, and as soon as you can, to protect yourself and your community, get that COVID-19 vaccination as we work our way through this global crisis. We also ask you to influence your local politicians with the message that we need to change our energy policies to move to renewable energy to mitigate climate change. Each month we bring you two fabulous episodes. On the first of each month, you'll get to hear Dr. Ian Astroblog Musgrave bring you his monthly sky guide, an astro treat for naked eye observers, telescopers and astrophotographers. And he always includes a tangent of astronomical wonder. In the middle of each month, we'll give you an interview with a noted astrophysicist, astronomer, astrophotographer, space scientist, or particle physicist. So, let's zoom over to Adelaide now to get your sky guide from Ian. Hello, Ian. Hello, Brendan. How are you going? Very well, thanks, Ian. I know you've had a very busy time this weekend, but uh, great to have you here and really looking forward to hearing what's up in the sky for August. So tell us, Ian, what is up in the sky for August? Uh, lots of interesting things are happening. We don't have a meteor shower like we did last month. And of course, like all meteor showers, when I went to look at them, I was clouded out. But we have lots of other things happening. So, again, most of the things are still happening in the morning skies, and we've got four bright planets in the morning skies for most of the month. But Saturn is at opposition, where it's biggest and brightest in the evening skies. We have Mercury at its best in the evening sky, and we have Jupiter coming up to us as well. So there's lots of interesting things. As always, I'll start with the moon, so you can use the moon to plan your dark sky adventures. So uh, August the 5th is the first quarter moon, which is a very nice time to be imaging the moon when they've got lots of craters in uh, good relief across its surface. August the 12th is the full moon, and August the 19th is the last quarter moon. Then finally, on August the 27th, is the new moon, so in the evening between the 19th to the uh, 27th, you'll have very good dark evening skies. Now, the moon is at perigee at August the 11th, which means that the August the 12th full moon is technically a, a perigee full moon, although it's not as good as the really nice uh, perigee syzygy full moon we had last month. And apogee is on August the 23rd. So let's start with the evening sky, where most people will be able to see cloud uh, permitting. Uh, Mercury is now in the uh, evening twilight and it's climbing higher in the evening sky. Now this month and uh, up until mid-September will be the best time to see Mercury 
in the evening sky this year. It's going to be quite nice. It's low in the twilight, half an hour to 45 minutes after sunset in the first week of the month. It gets progressively higher. So on August the 4th, it's very close to the bright star Regulus and should be relatively easy to see if we've got a decent level horizon. It continues to get higher in the sky, passing from the early twilight to the late twilight. And by the 27th, it's its greatest elongation from the sun, and so it'll be visible in completely dark skies. Sadly, tragically, it's not around anything uh, really interesting. So aside from the uh, regulars uh, meeting, it's not going to be uh, meeting any other interesting stars or combinations of clusters. However, on August the 29th and 30th, the thin crescent moon and Mercury uh, are moderately close. They're not spectacularly close, but they're in the same, in roughly the same patch of sky and will be very nice to look at in the evening. Now, of course, the star of, or rather the planet of this month is Saturn because Saturn is at opposition. Again, opposition is when Saturn is biggest and brightest as seen from Earth. And opposition is when the Sun Earth and the planet are in a direct line. So Saturn will be uh, fully illuminated. It's now relatively visible in the evening sky and around opposition, it's visible all night long. Nice. But of course, in terms of telescopic observation, a late evening to early morning is still the best for telescopic observation. As I've said before, the ring system is slowly closing up. But this year, rings are still fairly open, so they'll be rather magnificent to look at. And on the... So it's, it's at opposition on the 15th, which I failed to mention. And it's close to the full moon on the 12th and the morning of the 13th. So if you're still not sure which bright object in the north uh, eastern sky is Saturn, uh, it'll be the thing that's closest to the moon on the 12th. Uh, again, Saturn is currently in an area that's fairly devoid of uh, bright stars, but it is close to two relatively uh, brightish stars, Delta and Gamma Capricorn. At the beginning of the month, it forms a, a nice uh, triangle, and as the month goes on, that triangle becomes narrower and narrower, until by the end of the month, it's basically a line with um, Saturn and Delta and Gamma Capricorn. Right. Now, Jupiter uh, has uh, entered the evening sky and is uh, visible about 11 o'clock on, low in the evening sky. But during the month, it'll climb higher because it's in opposition next month. Uh, it's an excellent telescopic object in the uh, late to early evening, very late evening, around about midnight to uh, early morning, one to two o'clock in the morning. Again, it's visible throughout the morning. So if you get up early in the morning, you'll be able to see Saturn low in the west, uh, Jupiter in the northwest, then Mars, and then low down on the horizon of Venus. Now, on the evening of the 15th, Jupiter is close to the waning moon. And the pair are in the same binocular field with Jupiter only one degree away. So not really close enough to get together in a telescope eyepiece unless you've got a good uh, wide-angle lens, but very nice as a pair 
in binoculars and be able to see Jupiter's moons quite nicely. Now, I've talked about the, the span of the morning sky, so we'll be able to see all four bright planets in the morning sky, although they've now quite strung out. So, again, Saturn is over in the west, Jupiter's in the northwest, Mars is in the northeast, and Venus is low and hugging the horizon. Yep. So, again, v Venus is lower horizon at nautical twilight. That's an hour before sunrise. And it continues to sink towards the horizon. However, for most of the month, it will be visible at civil twilight. That's half an hour before sunrise until the end of the month when it's lost in the twilight glow. On the other hand, if you've got a nice level horizon, on the 26th, uh, Venus is near the thin uh, crescent moon and a very thin crescent moon deep in the twilight, and that would be make a rather magnificent sight. Now, Mars is becoming brighter as it nears opposition, which won't happen until much later in the year. It also is an area fairly devoid of bright stars, so it's uh, reasonably identifiable. So on the 1st to the 3rd, Mars and Uranus are very close together in binoculars. And for the next couple of days, Mars and Uranus will still be within uh, binocular distance, but they'll be quite separated as opposed to the, uh, the first to the third when they're around about one degree apart. On the 20th, Mars is uh, five degrees from the uh, waning moon. So the pair will just fit together in binoculars, and, but they'll, and they'll look quite nice. But from the 20th on, Mars starts going between the beautiful Pleiades cluster and the Hyades cluster. Uh, Hyades cluster, of course, is the A-shaped uh, cluster, which has Aldebaran and, as its uh, eye. And although Mars never gets close enough to the Hyades to make a second eye for Taurus the bull, the sight of uh, Mars inching its way between the Hyades and Pleiades and the uh, contrast with the uh, red eye of Aldebaran will be a very excellent morning sight. Excellent. So just to reiterate the moon passages again, because the moon is an excellent guide to bright stars and bright planets. So on August the 12th, the full moon is close to Saturn. On August the 15th, the waning moon is close to Jupiter. On August 20th, Mars close to the waning moon. 26th, Venus near the wire-thin crescent moon, deep in the twilight. And the 29th to 30th, the thin crescent moon is near Mercury. Nice. Again, it's always fairly easy to, to see the moon. And if you can see the moon, then the, the bright object nearby will be the planet that I've just described. And so when the moon moves away over the next couple of nights, however, you'll now know which of those bright objects you've seen is the planet. Uh, as I mentioned, we've got a perigee Syzygy moon this month, not as good as last month's because the full moon is officially on midday on the 12th and perigee is at 3am on the 11th. So there's a much bigger span between official from the time of perigee to the time of official full moon. Uh, nonetheless, the moon will be quite uh, large. Although if you're comparing it to last month's full moon, you won't really see any difference because it was also a perigee full moon. 
So you'll have to uh, to compare it with the apogee moon of December 8th in order to really get a, a feel for the difference. And as I said, we've got no uh, decent uh, meteor showers uh, this uh, month, but the stars will be excellent again. The centre of the galaxy will be almost at the zenith of the sky, which will be a, ra a rather spectacular sight. And we'll also have lots of other galaxies to look at. Andromeda Galaxy, the sister galaxy to our own, is rising around about uh, midnight and will be in an excellent position to observe in the early morning just before midnight. At the same time, the small Magellanic Cloud, the small companion galaxy to the Milky Way, will be at its highest above the southern horizon and with the large Magellanic Cloud climbing up towards the zenith as well. So we'll have... If you're up, up around midnight or a, a little bit later, you'll have our home galaxy stretching overhead for you, and then you'll have our sister galaxy uh, scraping the northern horizon if you're in, in Australia, and our satellite galaxies high to the south making an excellent galaxy viewing night. Nice. It, it'll, be, it'll be fantastic, weather permitting. And don't forget, of course, Sagittarius is the constellation around uh, our uh, centre of our galaxy. And so that'll be an excellent time to observe a range of uh, iconic clusters in this area. So you have the bright globular cluster M22 and the Trippet and Lagoon nebulas. And these are relatively easy to spot in binoculars because they're quite close to the lid of the teapot asterism. So the core of, of Sagittarius uh, looks a bit like a teapot, and near the lid of that teapot is the bright globular cluster M22 and the iconic nebula, Trippet and Lagoon nebula, easily seen in binoculars, a nice feast in telescopes. And even to the unaided eye, you'll be able to see under dark skies the M22 as a fuzzy dot and the Trippinant Lagoon uh, nebula as uh, patches of uh, fuzzy nebulosity near the lid of the teapot. Very good, Ian. Now, I know you've had an incredibly busy time recently. Is it too much to ask? Do you have a tangent for us for this month? I do indeed, and it's quite a fascinating tangent, including one of the most iconic stars in the southern sky. So... Uh, unlike uh, meteors, comets, and the wandering planets, the stars themselves seem unchanging in their positions. We, of course, ignore nova and supernova bursting in on us unexpectedly. The ancients called them the fixed stars because over the span of a human uh, life, they generally are. There are some, of course, changes over long periods of time. We know that these uh, stars are slowly moving some of them are moving faster than the others. So over tens of thousands of years, the uh, constellations will change shape. Yep. We also have the, the effects of precession on our, the positions of the stars. So back to the ancient Greeks and Egyptians, Alpha and Beta Centauri were visible from Greece and Egypt and were seen as part of the constellation of the Centaur. And uh, parts of the Southern Cross were seen as 
parts of the constellation of the centaur. Of course, with changes in the precession of our globe, those stars are no longer visible from that latitude. But as I said, over long periods of time, um, the stars move. The stars, of course, further away from us, hundreds of light years away, move the least, whereas the stars closest to us uh, move the fastest. Uh, an example is Barnard's star. This is moving it through space at a cracking pace. So uh, relative to the other stars, Barnard's star is moving at about 10.3 arc seconds per year. So that's about the width of a full moon in 174 years and about half a lunar, lunar diameter in 87 years. So within a human lifespan, you'd be able to see Barnard's star move. Cool. A considerable distance. Of course, a barren stars of magnitude nine, and you won't be able to see it without a really good pair of binoculars or a, a decent telescope. Uh, but if you have a, a decent telescope with good magnification uh, over a period of a few years, you'll be able to uh, watch Barnard star move against the background star stars and virtually uh, zipping across the sky. Another star with relatively high movement relative to the, the uh, background stars is 61 Cygni, which is not so easy to visible, easily visible from uh, Australia. But also Barnard's star is in the constellation of Ophiuchus. And so it's uh, if, if you have uh, the ability to go out uh, and have a good star chart, you can look at Barnard's star tonight. And you'd need to be up around about midnight to see 61 Cygni. But so waiting years and years for the telescope to see Barnard's star move is, uh, you know, not that exciting. But we have a much closer to home example now, and that's Alpha Centauri. Now, Alpha Centauri is not is only four light years away. It's not moving relatively us that fast compared to Barnard's star. But what it is, it's its binary. It's actually a, a, a trinary with alpha, beta, and uh, a, a, with the A component, the B component, and Proxima Centauri. The A and B components of Alpha Centauri have an orbital period of uh, 79.762 years, if you're really into, into that degree of precision. Uh, you can say 80 years uh, approximately. And back in the 60s and early 70s, you could split the components of Alpha and Beta of, of Alpha Centauri, the A and B components, with an ordinary pair of binoculars. Uh, and at, at this time, in uh, 1974, for example, uh, the, uh, the A and B components were 26 arc seconds apart. Uh, so a, a bit hard to split, but uh, but with a good pair of binoculars, you can split them. Now, although Alpha Centauri doesn't illustrate stars moving against the background stars uh, 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 like the Barnet star does, what it does illustrate is orbital motion. We can watch over a human lifespan the orbit of A and B around each other. And again, with binoculars, uh, in this, again, uh, 60s and 70s, 
you could see uh, the A and B components in a pair of binoculars, and but it's been closing up as the pair get closer and closer together. So they'll get be at their closest on the March the 16th in 2027, so mark that date on your calendars, <laughs> where they'll be eight seconds of, uh, of arc apart, which is pretty close. If you're following with telescopes, uh, you can, over the next few years, mark the changes and also note the position as uh, the two stars are orbiting their position changes. So that will be a very good uh, long-term project. Uh, in terms of uh, seeing them in binoculars, they'll be closest on the 27th, and then we have to wait until uh, 2074, I'm afraid, to see them uh, at a decent distance. So to compare, be comparable to what we saw in 1974, we have to wait until 2074 when they'll be 25 uh, seconds of arc apart. Yeah, worth waiting for, Ian. Yeah, so, I mean, the, again, this is just illustrating that we can see changes in the night sky with relatively simple equipment and and a bit of patience. So if you want to have a nice project over the next few years, uh, you, you want to... Uh, map the orbit of Alpha Centauri uh, around uh, A and B components around each other and test yourself to see uh, the time at which you can pick them out with binoculars again. Um, so again, you're going to have to wait a little while. That's what astronomers do. We wait a lot. And of course, you've got other other uh, neat stars to, to uh, follow. You can follow Barad's star. You can follow 61 Cygni. 61 Cygni is interesting because uh, not only is it moving uh, against the, the uh, background stars, it's also a binary, and you'll be able to see the orbital component as the A component uh, moves relative to the B component. And there's also a dim uh, magnitude uh, 10 star, which you can use at, to as your anchor point to easily follow the movement of 61 Cygni across the sky. So once again, with uh, uh, low-cost uh, equipment, you can see all sorts of fascinating things in the sky. Fantastic. What a beautiful challenge. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, Ian Astro Blog Musgrave. Another fabulous month of observations in August. It will be indeed. And, of course, uh, uh, August... Uh, Alpha Centauri is neatly above the is nicely above the horizon, so you'll have plenty of opportunity to observe it uh, this month um, and uh, see uh, what is the lowest magnification you can use to separate out the two components of Alpha and of the Alpha Centauri A and B. Excellent. Good night, mate. Good night, mate. Thank you very much for uh, waiting around, and uh, we'll catch you later on. All right. And remember, Astrophys is free, ad-free, and unsponsored. But we're always very happy to recommend that you go to Rami Mandal at spaceaustralia.com for the very latest and best space news. 
We'll see you in two weeks when we're going to hear from Dr. Emily Moravik, who is working at a famous Green Bank telescope in West Virginia. It's a wonderful interview. She's fantastic. Radio Wave.